This is episode number 345, Creating Internal Safety with Deborah. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who've overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. The first announcement being in regard to our show. And that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our recently launched program called Rewrite Your Story. What this is, is a program that we've been developing for the past five to six years of working with people from all over the world in helping them rewrite their story to gain clarity of the moments in their lives that are no longer serving them and helping them reframe them into opportunities to learn and to grow from. If you feel that this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details. Now, let's get back to the show. I, I know you and I were talking about uh, this concept of in, internal safety. And one of the things that I had asked you at the beginning was, A, what does that even, what does that even look like for you, considering that it looks so different for every single person? And then the other part of the question I was curious as I was reading your response was, how do you know when you actually achieve it? Like, is that a feeling? Is that something else that's completely different from that? So loaded questions off the bat, but I'm, I'm curious kind of from your perspective, what does internal safety mean to you? Hmm. Well, uh, thanks. It's a great question, Oleg. And I, a lot of things flashed in my mind when you were asking me that question, but one of them was I've, I'm a survivor of domestic violence, and whenever I would feel unsafe, there were some really consistent mm, physiological responses that I would have. I would start to tense up, my hands would get sweaty, my armpits would get sweaty, my heart would race fast, and I had this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach that was like I'm in danger I'm wrong these were the then I would hear the voices and then the feeling of that in the in the pit of my stomach would get worse and worse and more intense and it would almost be like a combination of having like a really bad stomach cramp and wanting to throw up and so these were physiological response uh, responses I could count on to show up every time I had a trigger of some form. And it might not even have been 
in my home or in a situation where I was actually in danger, but it was something would remind me of that situation and I would go back there. And it was interesting when I thought about it, I actually had those responses long before I ever was in any domestic violence situation when I was in school or when I was in college or when I was at work. I would have those, that same sequence of physiological responses. And when I thought about it, I said, this is not new. This is, I've been doing this for a long time. And what I started to notice was that if I had a Sometimes I would have a, a start of a trigger, but then I'd get distracted or interrupted and I'd forget whatever it was. And then I'd come back and I'd be like, well, I had I was feeling crappy for a second. <laughs> and then it then it went away. And I'm like, you know, it's, I was in this like weird suspense, like what what just happened? And that's when I started to when I started to pay attention to that. I have an engineering background. I started to notice that there was actually a thought that would start the sequence. And usually the start, the thought started with, I'm not fill in the blank enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not kind enough. I'm not humble enough. I'm not, it was always, there was a whole long list of things I could fill in there, but there was always something in there. Now that's how my system runs. And I know this because I know how I'm wired now. So I understand it very well. But at the time when I was growing up, all I knew was that somehow my thoughts were affecting my sense of safety, physical safety, but also there was an internal sense of not safe, Safety, lack of safety that was happening that was correlating to the external lack of safety. So if I was, uh, you know, lectured at my job or I was fired, I got fired many times, um, or I was in a situation where I was getting mocked and teased by my peers, in all of those situations, I would have the same responses internally and externally. And so I started to say, there's something to this. There's a pattern here. There is something going on here, very specific. What is it? And so these days, to make a long story short, I've started to, to understand that we have parts. We have many different voices in our heads. Sometimes for some people, they're not voices. Sometimes they're just physiological sensations or, or impulses. Um, but they all play roles and they're all with the best of intent to take good care of us. So we have parts that are like protectors. We have parts that are protected from harm. Um, and because we all have different types of traumas or difficulties and challenges that we face, we all have some level of there's a response and then it sets off this series of responses in our system. And so once we learn how to not make bad or make quiet, which is what meditation does, um, when we start to just be able to hear those voices or notice those sensations or impulses and approach them with curiosity and with care, it's amazing how we get to learn so much about what they're doing and we're able to create safety for them because every single human being, what is, if we, if someone were to ask you, what makes you feel comforted or what makes you feel safe or what makes you feel like someone cares about you, it'll be something to the extent of that person understands me. How can they understand you if they've never heard anything that you've said? They can't. Like, they had to have heard you first and listened to you and said, no, I get it. At some level, 
validated that your concern or your thought or your feeling was understandable before you would start to feel any sort of safety or comfort from them. And so when we do that for our own parts first, then we have the capacity, we learn the skills to be able to do that for other people. It's really interesting because I I think much of what you speak about is a pattern recognition. And that's something that I started to discover within my own system, so to speak, is started to break it, break down like what are those patterns when it comes to listening to the voices that I listen internally? What are the things that I end up doing afterwards? What are the results they produce? And so I'm curious to kind of break this down even more. When you were talking about the different voices, the question that came to mind was, how do you know which voice you are listening to? You ask, because sometimes you don't know. Mm. And, and sometimes it'll tell you and sometimes it won't. But you start a dialogue with that voice and get to know, get curious about what it's really trying to do and why and, you know, what it needs from you. And would you say in most situations, the answer is as obvious as it is, or does it take a level of kind of digging deeper beyond the levels or the layers that you currently see to really try and figure out, okay, this is where it is coming from? Well, that's a great question, Oleg. And I think it comes back to the same thing as someone that you've met for the first time and you ask them, you know, how can I help you? And someone that you've known since you were both kids and you've known them for 20 plus years and you ask them, how can you help? How can I help you? You'll get two different responses because the first person doesn't know you. So doesn't have a whole lot of trust built with you. So that's the other component of safety is trust to feel it, they go hand in hand. So one, each of them needs the other. You need to have some safety to feel trust, but you also have need to have some trust to be able to open up enough to reach another level of safety. So when, when you're asking, okay, does, is it just like a really obvious answer or there are there several layers? There, just trust that there's always more layers. There's yeah. always more layers, <laughs> always. But getting to those layers just depends on the level of trust that you've built with that particular part. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I've been curious about trust and in, in safety as well because I, I wonder how does it actually develop over time? Like to give you an example, <laughs> There are people, as I'm sure there are people that you met or anyone else that's going to be listening to this, who I feel very comfortable within the first five minutes of a conversation of opening up literally about anything and everything. And I've wondered afterwards, like, why was that possible? How was that possible? How was I able to open up to an individual that I met for five minutes that lives halfway across the world that may do whatever with the information that I chose to share? And then I have friendships that let's say I've cultivated over five or 10 years that we may never get to that point. And never is a long time, but you know we haven't gotten to that point. So it just really gets me curious, like how is it that we're able to open up to others and trust people within the first five or 10 words of a conversation and yet not being able to do that with someone that you've shared five years worth of dialogue? Mm-hmm. Mm, another great question <laughs> <laughs> there are three 
possible responses that immediately jump out at me. I'm sure if I sat with it longer, I'd, I'd get more. Um, the first is nature. The second is nurture. And the third is like situational. So nature, your nature, some people are naturally more open and they can just feel feel into, oh, this is a safe place for me to share. And they just share. And, our, you know, you usually see that with children, like they're just like naturally a little bit more open, less, un, less inhibited, and they kind of just can go, you know, and share yeah. something. Um, and then they maybe with someone else, they sense, mm, I'm feeling not so great. So I'm not going to say anything. Same kid, just different, different person, but their nature is already like um, prone to that on their side, the sharer, but also on the receiver side, it's their nature too. So certain, like, for example, myself, I have a natural gift that I don't have to try when people are around me, they, they can feel that I'm honest with them and that they can be honest with me, which is part of feeling safe. Right. And that doesn't, there's nothing I do specially to, to, um, to, to create that. That is just my nature my nature because these particular parts of me are very very strong and people can feel that when they're in conversation with me the so, so that's nature then the second part is nurture which is um sometimes the more open we are able to be with ourselves the more open we're able to be with other people and on the on the flip side if we've been conditioned which most of us have, whether through parents, teachers, classmates, friends, job, you know, whatever it might be, media, we, if we've been conditioned to not feel safe to be honest, then we also make it harder for people to feel comfortable to be honest with us. And so that whole process, so it's a really interesting thing in energy design where we learn, like we know that birds flock and bees swarm. Well, humans also gather in, in, in grouping. So sometimes um, you might not necessarily feel that great in the classroom, but maybe you had a really good friend that after school, you guys hung out and you had a lot of fun together because you could felt like there you could be yourself, but in the classroom, you couldn't because that classroom was a grouping and there was a, a very clear hierarchy of what was okay and what was not okay to say in that classroom or do or express in that classroom. So that's the second thing is nurture, where are the conditioning fields of, of school and, and all the things in our institutions in our society make some things okay and make some things not okay so we don't feel as safe. And the longer that we're in that conditioning and we're not really being true to our own internal knowingness, then the harder it is for us to be to feel trustworthy to other people because people can we as human beings we feel when someone's not being an in integrity or not being mm. um who yes. they really authentic mm -hmm. like we can feel that even if we can't put work we don't know what why how but we can feel it right so we'll tend to you know back off a little bit and then the third thing is situational which is where you see and even you, the spectator in a movie, when you watch a movie where they've gone through all these crazy things, stuff blowing up, they're almost getting shot every three minutes and they become lovers and you want to be their lover because you've just bonded with them in this one hour and a half series where all these life-threatening things, your heart is beating, you're at the edge of your seat and you're just watching, let alone if you're in it. So situationally, I know things like people who are like in the military or in like kind of first responders, and you can see the the bonds that they're able to build so quickly because they're in these life-threatening, high-pressure situations and people are relying on them. It's like these are life or death matters. 
they learn and they build trust and strong bonds of safety, psychological safety between them or not, as we also know, also in those same groups, um, um, very quickly because the pressure cooker kind of makes that happen quicker. So one of the things that I used to do when I, um, I used to be in relationship turnaround where people were on the brink of divorce and they wanted to turn things around in their marriage. And I would tell them, your best friend is conflicts. I know you hate them right now, but you know, trusting that you're physically safe and you're not like actually in a, in a, in an unsafe situation physically, which I know very well. And I know the difference. If you're physically safe, you can use conflict to build trust and rebuild trust very, very quickly. It's oh, it's like a it's a hack. It's almost like a shortcut that you can take because again, it's like high pressure. But when you approach it differently and that other person is thrown off, you have an opportunity there to interrupt that pattern and to to redirect that that energetic exchange between the two people into a different direction. So in a way I don't, I'm not going to say, is this something that you recommend by any means, but is it advantageous then to invite conflict into life? Like for example, only if you're ready, (laughs) you have, I mean, there are some, there are absolutely some really important skills that you need to have when you engage in conflict. Like right now I have a situation where there's, it's very high conflict, but I'm not engaging because I know I'm not, (laughs) I'm waiting for my next level of expansion to be able to approach it differently. So the approaches that I've already done, used, have not ended the conflict. So I'm not going into conflict, just going willy nilly. No, there's like, you have to be really intentional. You have to be really clear and you got to practice, get some skill behind under your belt before you uh, face conflict. But for, I'd say, 90% of the human population, we are designed to basically in some form respond to something external that's coming towards us. And so it's not that we go start the conflict, but that when it comes, we don't run from it. We, we stay still and we embrace it and, and, and embrace the potential that is in that conflict. Just like a storm can be really scary, but it's so beautiful afterwards what's cleaned up the air and it's cleaned up so many things and there's an there's an awareness that that storm although unpleasant and destructive was necessary to bring in the next level of life and growth and expansion that was possible that's such a beautiful metaphor and, and many of the things that you described it a, I'll probably never watch a movie the same way again that's the first thing <laughs> but it's so true right like I'm I'm thinking about the number of films or TV shows or whatever it might have been that I've watched where afterwards I felt like I was so invested in it and yet I was not the actor. I didn't design the plot. I didn't know any of the characters. I just chose to dedicate a portion of my time to a particular thing. And then I was able to see myself in every one of the characters. I felt like I was somehow a part of them even though it was thousands of miles away, way post-production. So it's interesting though. And the the other thing that you mentioned that I find interesting is uh, the whole concept of energy fields. Even the analogy that you used of birds and bees. I've never really even thought about it, but it makes sense. And so I'm curious, just based on your own experience, how do you understand your own energy field, so to speak? Like, 
do you gravitate towards groups? Are you more so someone who operates best in isolated spaces? Because I feel like that's also probably equally important in being able to achieve your own internal safety. Yeah, I mean, that's great. I love this question because, um, again, there are layers, right? So when you're first starting out with newbies and beginners, I encourage people to, um, I use a tool called human design. Um, and it's really, really good for helping you to understand how your energy mechanics. So just like we have our, our, our muscles and our skeletal structure and we have our lungs and everything's kind of in the same place depend you know regardless of what human you're dealing with right similarly we have energy mechanics where our energy flows in very very clear ways with all humans now we all have uniqueness to our energy expression but there but you know you're not going to find some like brand new part in one person that's not another so the the thing that i always encourage people to start with is what what is what we call their energy type and their strategy and authority in human design and it's really simple you, you can download a, a report for free um getting a reading is always a great way to get started but but in that process of like understanding how you engage with life by your type it's so powerful it's kind of like a combination of like disc you know uh, myers-briggs you know all these strengths all these things together but in a way that's like a little bit different because it's just talking about how the energy flows through your body so when you understand those basics and like start practicing with that that in itself can take years to just get out of the conditioning of the people and the spaces around us and start to really know okay this is me this is how I really feel good operating in life which is different from how my parents raised me to be or my teacher told me I had to be or whatever right that's one then now when you're talking about um shoot you had said something about how people could oh with the groups with the group mechanics that's like another level and it's kind of like once you get really good at knowing how you feel and how you operate really well you'll notice when you start you'll always start noticing when you start shifting into different behavior that's not how you normally are um i notice it even when i walk up past a bunch of kids waiting for the bus on my street, I will feel how I will feel differently walking past them than I am when I'm walking by myself. So, so it's like, you just notice it and there's nothing to like do, but obviously if you notice that, okay, every time I'm in this grouping, I feel a way that doesn't feel good for me. Well then, yeah, I mean, it's no brainer to don't hang out with that group, you know, but it, it's not like there's much control that we have over it. This is just the way nature groups us. And so it's just being kind of aware of where do I feel good? What groups do I feel good with? And which groups do I not feel good with? Um, and then the last piece, just to answer for me personally, I have, I'm, this is a, a common theme in my design, which is I'm, I'm at, I'm at both extremes. I work really, I can work really well in very large organizations. And then second best is me being by myself and just running as a, a lone ranger, gunslinger, <laughs> maverick, revolutionary, which is kind of the role I'm in now. I started out though in large corporate organizations and, and for different reasons, not because of my energy type, but just for different reasons, which, you know, we could also go into. Um, you know those reasons as well. Um, I left corporate and then kind of came into being on my own, and that feels really good for me too. So I can kind of go both ways, me, Deborah. But that's a common theme in a lot of areas in my life. I I, I kind of go to both extremes, which is 
it's funny and it's weird, but it also gifts me the ability to see things from many different perspectives. Does your energy type ever change throughout your life? Or is that kind of the baseline that you go with from one chapter to the next? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) To which one? (laughs) Uh, It's really both. So we are, we're born with one um, type and through our life in different life cycles and phases, we actually can change types. Um, So we can add up, but not down. I know that's not going to make any sense, but basically um, their type is defined by how our, what, what we have defined energetically in our system. And so um, like, sometimes we can go with a higher, like with more definition, which means we impact more people with certain things, but not less. So um, that can change from period to period of time. Um, But for simplicity's sake, just so that we can stay sane and not get too caught up in that, because again, that's just another, it's another mapping system. It's not supposed to be like, this is who you are today. No, it's just a a way of understanding how we're working and functioning. Um, We just usually just use what you were born with as the starting point and that in itself just getting comfortable with what you were born with which you have your whole entire life that never changes um is enough to get you um you know get you going and get you in a good way then when you get to the place where you feel really comfortable and you really know how you operate in the world and then you say okay i want to understand this year or this cycle of life that i'm in what else have i got you know what other goodies have i got in the bag to to work with you can do that but usually it's enough of an effort to just get back to the way you were born um, without anything extra added on that like in itself is enough to like keep you busy for a while. That's so fascinating. You know, something that I've noticed kind of within my own life in the past three to four to maybe five years is I had this internal shift where I started to look at pretty much everything as a form of energy. And the biggest difference that I started to notice was when I had that realization, it changed the way that I approached conflict. It changed the way that I engaged with people or things. Like I remember there were times throughout my life, and I don't know if it's true for you as well, but I was very reactive to many of the things. You know, I pull up to a gas station and the person's having a bad day. And for some reason, I might have taken their pump or whatever it might have been. And so the person lets me hear it. They let, they let me know that, hey, I did something wrong. I need to fix this and stuff like that. And I would become very reactive and I would engage in those dialogues. And then over time, I just started to realize that every single person is operating on their own frequency and I don't always have to meet that person on the same frequency. And that alone was game changing. And it kind of, and then the same thing, I think I started to realize where. I would send emails to different universities to come and speak there. And you'll be fascinated by some of the responses you'd receive. You know, like, no, thank you, plenty of FUs, all these other things. And so meanwhile, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, I have a choice in how I respond to this, right? I could either break the cycle, kind of going back to how we started this conversation, break the pattern, break the thought, or continue building upon it. And that alone has helped me achieve, I would say, probably the greatest form of safety, internal safety that I've ever experienced. Just understanding that everything is energy and you get to choose how you engage with it. And it's very true. I think I feel like 
I haven't I haven't seen a case where it's been proven otherwise. <laughs> Everything is vibrating on some frequency. Mm-hmm. And you get to choose whether you want to match it or not. Yes, and. <laughs> um, so this comes back to parts. And so sometimes we have this awareness. I, I know there's so many times I thought I was, you know, Buddha on the mountaintop. Like I was like, I'm <laughs> enlightened. I got it. No more problems. I'm going to be cool. And then enters my 10-year-old daughter. And all of my Zen all goes out the window. And I go into this reactive thing. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. What in the world? Right? Um, and this is because our systems are constantly shifting and recalibrating with all of our new awarenesses. And sometimes, uh, just like, just like you know, the body stores fat when you know when it's afraid for some reason that you might not have food in the future, it'll store the fat. But then it'll release it when needed, when it's when it's prompted in the right conditions. Similarly. Um, the the our our system our internal system stores problems it's like okay we're we we can't really deal with this right now because we got this big thing that we have to deal with then when that big thing kind of gets resolved all of a sudden all these other things come out that you were like wait where did this come from but it was always (laughs) there it was just it was kind of kept away um, so that in in um in internal family systems we call that exiled. They're exiled because there just wasn't bandwidth enough to deal with everything. Like we just you know the system just kind of shut them up so that we could deal with other things. And then once you start getting a little bit more bandwidth, out come all these little exiles who have all these traumas that we haven't really dealt with for you know our whole life. And now we have to start dealing with them. So I say that to say that if you come to a place where you know, and this is for anyone listening to this. So I say you generally, if you come to a place where, you know, you're feeling like you're making all this progress and you're like so much more chill than you used to be and you're not reactive. And then all of a sudden you see some serious reactivity in you. And usually it's very dramatic. It's not like, oh, I'm a little annoyed at, no, it's like, you know, very noticeable, right? Have grace for yourself. It's just a part of you that was locked away for a long time. And it finally, it's a good sign. It means that you've cleared up enough space now in your system that it can finally ask and demand for your attention. It's mm. not something to feel like, oh, crap, I've I got to start over. I'm starting from scratch. No, it's it's proof of progress. Um, and just it, that's going to keep happening because, like I said, we have so many layers. And because most of us never learned how to unpack when there was just a few layers now it's like it's a lot right so it's like we're going to continually be unpacking that throughout our lives and getting like so that's the good news is that you're going to have lots of time to practice right it's like it's not going to go away (laughs) um but just to kind of have grace for yourself and know that that's a sign of progress and not that you you reverted or anything like that do you notice how your body processes a lot of those problems or situations. Like to give you an example, I've noticed that whenever I get stressed, I start coughing, clearing my throat, sneezing, all these things so much more to the point where the frequency is the only thing at the front of my awareness versus when I'm relaxed and at ease, that doesn't really happen as much. I've become aware of this in the past two to three, maybe four years 
And I got really curious because at first I thought it was allergies and then I actually moved physical locations and then I still continued to do it. I was like, okay, the environment is different. All these things are quote unquote non-allergic in it. I'm still experiencing all of it. And I, and I wondered to what are those things that people begin to notice within their own journeys as far as, okay, this is stress, this is anxiety, this is X, Y, and Z, this is depression. Uh, do you notice any things like that from your body, like when it's talking to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually. Um, and so IFS or parts work is uh, a really powerful way to connect with these parts that are creating these impulses. Because like I said, not all of them are voices in your head. Some of them will show up as impulses. And usually those are the ones that are trying to get your attention but they're not being allowed to say too much. So they show up as a migraine or they show up as a backache or as they show up as whatever, you know. Um, I shared with you at the beginning um, some of my physiological impulses to say, we need to get the heck out of Dodge. It's not safe. Don't feel good, you know. So when those things come up, you did you you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said approaching them with curiosity, right? It's like, okay, instead of being like, the... The Western model of medicine is like, you stupid body, why are you messing with me? Shut up. Here's a pill. Take it. Deal with it. I need to move on with my life, Um, which is not, of course, most indigenous cultures do not approach the body and health and healing that way. It's more like, what is it trying to tell me? Oh my goodness, this is my best friend. This is my close friend, my family member. I trust them. They obviously have something that they're concerned about for my well-being. Let me listen and see what they have to say, right? It's a completely different approach. Um, So when we can get that curiosity, um, it can help us so much to be able to, and and it's also nice when you have someone who is open, who can who can kind of help too, because there's something we call self-energy, which we give to each other. And like you and I are, are exchanging it now in this interaction that we have, where it's a little easier to do it when you have a friend with you, right? When you have somebody who's open and kind and supportive, they're kind of holding a little bit of space for you to kind of okay, migraine, what are you trying to tell me? You know, it's kind of scary to do it by yourself. So I also encourage finding, um, there's lots of ways to do it, but finding a, a practice partner, somebody who can just be a safe person for you to also feel a little bit more courage to have the curiosity and to, to inquire of that part of your body or that part of your system and to see what it what will give you sometimes certain parts that don't speak they'll give you images they'll give you flashbacks and that can be scary that can be overwhelming if you have never done that before um you can always of of course ask them to um just give you a little bit so that you can stay present with them and not go into overwhelm and shock but you know it's still good to do it with with a friend or with someone who can um be there and make it makes it a lot easier and and um so yeah, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> I love the part that you mentioned about courage because I found that throughout my own journey, that's one of the things that it truly takes is being able to be courageous enough to ask the question of where it's coming from, to ask the question of who might be able to share the space with me, right? And and so I, I found that it's it's not always the most comfortable thing to be courageous. I think what I found is that in in many of the situations to be courageous, one almost kind of has to step outside of whatever that comfort zone was to really step into that new space and create it. And 
that is not the easiest of journeys, but maybe it's not meant to be easy. Maybe, maybe that's the reason why courage is that powerful at the end of the, at the end of the day. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about that one. And in some ways, yes, it's always a little bit scary to be courageous and face our scary parts. But I also think if you look at, again, I always go back to kids because kids are less inhibited than adults are. And most kids are not scared to face like, you know, I have, if I ask my daughter to like, you know, talk to her stomach that's hurting, no problem. Like she doesn't like, you know, or, you know, face like, so it's both and I think it's a little bit of both I think it's some of it is yeah it can be it can be a little difficult but at the same time I also think that we've also been made to fear our bodies and made to fear our feelings and made to fear anything that doesn't fit into the homogenization of our society instead of actually being able to just be curious and be with whatever the feeling is so do you think a part of it, and I don't know if lost is the right word, but do you think, or maybe redefined, do you think part of the reason why courage is perceived differently by, let's say, adults, not all adults, but some adults compared to kids, is because we have the ability to analyze, overanalyze, and also just the fact that we've been influenced by so many different perspectives that changes our ability to be courageous in certain situations? All these questions go. <laughs> You're going hey, hard. I'm, I'm just listening. <laughs> I'm just listening uh, and, and trying to learn. No, this is amazing. Um, It's a great co-creative space and question because to me, there's a few pieces when it comes to our minds. And so, you know, we... In, in human design, we started out with the, you know, I shouldn't say we started out, but the previous version of human was the seven chakra, seven centered chakras, you know, and in that system, if you notice, it goes from bottom to top, right, one to seven, or, you know, top to bottom, it's a very linear, hierarchical way that people understood how energy flows, it goes from one to the next to the next to the next, and at the top was what, it was the crown, it was, it was the mind, it was like, it was, there was, I mean, obviously the mind was like one down, but it, it's like the mind was very high in the hierarchy and it was needed in that era for the processing of information. I mean, all the changes that happened in, the, in those many, several hundred years, but now according to human design, again, you take it or leave it. I'm just giving you a theory here. Um, as humans, we've evolved into different types of beings where we're no longer prioritizing our thinking as our authority, but more now we're going to our gut or our solar plexus, our feelings and emotions. And what makes, it's more complicated than that, but I'm just simplifying it. What what makes it, um, what makes it so important and what makes it so, uh, we've gone now into the other swing where we've now said the mind is bad it's we need to you know silence our thoughts or, or ignore our thoughts and let them just draw you know drift away and all this other stuff and it's like we've gone from one extreme to the other like from venerating our thinking and our our especially our logic and then going to the other side of like denouncing it in more new age spiritual kind of teachings and really the balance is in the middle of saying our mind is really good for processing data 
finding patterns, coming up with theories and, and formulas, really, really good for that. But it's not necessarily good for us for making decisions about life because life is not logical and linear at all. Right? There's nothing logical about life. Everything about life is, it's really, we need to lean more on our in the moment, moment to moment knowingness and awareness. So that's one piece of it is like the thinking part. Then the other part of it that is really interesting is depending on the way that we're wired our own, hold on a second, I think I need to sneeze. That's probably a part trying to tell me something because it keeps telling me <laughs> once it's like keeps acting like it wants to sneeze and then it doesn't. Um, on the flip side, some of us are more just have a tendency to have a lot of very strong thinking parts that are the like the strongest or just there's tons of them. And so we may have a struggle. I'm one of those people. Um, I don't do meditation because it like I like lose my mind. Like I tried and it was like this isn't working, feels really bad. So I stopped. Um so when we have a lot of thoughts, lots and lots of thoughts and processing going on in our head and our mind and, you know, lots of conceptualization and all that rationalization and all that stuff, we may have a tendency to lean that way just because of the way we're wired. And then it's a little bit more of a struggle to trust, you know, you know, trust our emotions or trust our gut or whatever our authority is um, to trust that instead of trusting those thoughts that are going on in the head. But the balance is being able to respect and honor those thinking parts because they hold the mind as part of the body and it 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 has a very important operation and also at the same time not lean on it for decision making but rather lean on our truth which comes for many of us not all but for many of us it comes from our gut mm. Deborah, how do people connect with you? What do you have going on? Where can people find out more about who you are? Oh, that's a great question. Um, right now, uh, the best place to connect with me is LinkedIn. The real Deborah A is my handle on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. So you can catch me there. So the T H E real R E A L and then Deborah D E B O R A H. A. Um, and so if you go on any of those channels, you can connect with me directly, um, see what I'm up to, kind of what uh, ideas I've been sharing, share your opinions and thoughts. Um, that's really the easiest way to connect with me right now. Did someone try to steal your personality or identity? <laughs> no, I think Deborah A was taken. So I just took oh, the, I okay. just went with the, the real. <laughs> there, there's some meaning behind the real too, but that's for another day. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.